You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 135. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. You've reached another Local Maximum. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the show. Last week, I spoke about the difference between modeling and understanding. Today, I'm going to continue that discussion with Aaron. Do we actually understand all the words that we use? And what does that even mean to understand these words? We're going to talk about that. Also, can universal recording and AI tech serve to extend our memory? Can we tap into some universal memory? Whoa, this show is really going way out there. And then finally, we're going to talk about Is the future of work actually in person? That's a more concrete one, I guess, to wrap it up. All coming up in this episode. But first, I want to tell you about an event, a virtual event, because it's still 2020, but an event nonetheless being put together by Manning Publishing, a sponsor of the show. As you know, check out the Live at Manning Rust Conference on September 15th, 1130 to 530 p.m. I believe that's Eastern Standard Time on Twitch. Be inspired by the elegant and powerful Rust language. This is your chance to hear from Rust speakers in Manning's network of experts. Discover industry trends and unique technical advice from Rustacians. That's what they call themselves, people who program in Rust. Rustacians. I I think I'm getting that right. I know I haven't heard about Rust before, so uh, I might pop in to see what the language is all about. You can get more information on the show notes page. Today's show notes page at localmaxradio.com slash 135, and we'll link you over to Manning Publishing and the Rust Conference. All right. Now for today's fascinating conversation. Aaron, welcome to the show. It's good to be back. So we, have, we haven't done a news update for a while here. We did topology last time, which was a lot of fun. Um, so uh, along the, well, first of all, how are you doing? We, the, people are coming back from Labor Day uh, this year, and I think I can't wait till we do our year in review episode. I don't know, I don't know what you <laughs> what, think. What year? Yeah, the, the, the 2020 year. Yeah, I, I think if if offered the choice, there are plenty of people who would uh, skip directly to 2021, you know, do not collect $200, do not pass go. Um, probably some people that would skip directly to 2022 at this point, since they're not so confident about 2021. Do you ever listen to some of the past episodes of The Local Maximum to see what we were talking about? Uh, y- usually not. Occasionally I will go back. Usually I look at show notes before I'm, right. I'm going to re-listen, but... I feel like yeah. we'll find something if we check the archive. A taste of the before times could be refreshing right now. <laughs> Either refreshing or very depressing. One or the yeah. other. Yeah. Okay. So uh, one of the things that I started talking about last time, which is very, um, I don't know how to put this. It's very hard to wrap your head around, which is like the difference between just doing a statistical model and people say, oh, it's just a statistical model. It doesn't really understand what's going on. And then actually doing understanding, natural language understanding. And then, of course, I think there's an open question of whether there really is a difference. I kind of fall on the side in that there probably is, but I feel like there are some problems with that. Uh, that, that was going to be my, my immediate reaction. Are we talking about something that's a binary, or is this really a sliding scale, a spectrum? And you get to a certain point and most people will say that yes you've transitioned from one to the other but there's there's not a clear clear dividing line or tipping point there 
Okay. Well, obviously, this is um, this is a topic that's very interesting to me because I I, I feel like I would like to imp- well I there's there's a role for each type of algorithm that you implement and you know there's a role for just a plain statistical model uh you know a regression try to figure out the relationship between variables and then actually build uh, you know some uh data system that understands the underlying you know words or phrases or concepts that are that that are happening very different types of intelligence and so to try to wrap our head around this i wanted to first of all see if we could suss out a difference between semantics and understanding uh because the way i defined understanding in the last episode might be similar to the way semantics is defined. Let's see if we can figure out if there is a difference. So here's the definition of semantics from Wikipedia. And I don't even know if I've ever seen a definition of semantics, even though I know I've used the word a, a, a ton of times. It might be what, you know, again, it might be one of those things where we think we understand words, but we, uh, we, we don't always. So anyway, uh, semantics from Wikipedia. Uh, semantics is the linguistic and philosophical study of the meaning of in language, programming languages, formal language, and semiotics. I don't even know what semiotics is. Uh, it, that, that's not in the Wikipedia article. That's just my own aside. Uh, <laughs> it is concerned with the relationship between signifiers like words, phrases, signs, and symbols and what they stand for in reality, their denotation. So I think all of that is a lot of fancy language for the relationship between words and you can kind of branch out from words a little bit it's not just words but like ideas and concepts because words themselves you know sometimes words can be have many different meanings and then sometimes there are concepts that you need multiple words to uh to actually get the concept across um and you know look when you look at different languages sometimes you know german might have a word for this but the english concept you have to kind of explain a lot more i mean sometimes the german they have a word, and then in order to explain the meaning of the word, you have to go on like two paragraphs in English. Uh, but um, yeah, so well, so so semantics uh, when used colloquially, colloquially, oh, that's a that's a tongue twister. Uh, but the 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 use that at least I'm most familiar with, and I think a lot of our listeners might be, is is when someone uses a word for something and another person says, "Well, actually," and provides perhaps a a more precise term for what they're really talking about. And they say, well, don't, don't give me that garbage. That's just semantics. Um, right. A, a, a bad example perhaps being when someone says, you know, we live in a democracy. And somebody else says, well, actually, we live in a democratic republic. And the response is, no, 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 no. That's just semantics. You know what I meant. And you're being, you're being a jerk about it, trying to prove me wrong, when we shouldn't be arguing about that difference we're really arguing about a bigger uh, uh, something in the bigger picture, right? So it, it is. It is a problem. That's not exactly what we're talking about here, but yeah. but there's a kernel of it there in that uh, semantics is choosing just the right. You know, it's it's a a a crystal clear understanding of something uh, when when a a fuzzier understanding might be out there, but doesn't necessarily serve as effectively. Right. Right. Well. Yeah, the, the, the democracy, democratic republic is always an interesting one because I've been corrected on that. But when I say democracy, I'm talking about you know the, the democratic institutions and the democratic nature of our government. I'm making some comment about that. I'm not making yeah. a comment but, about oh we should be a pure democracy or something like that. But some people do, and then you have to say here's why yeah. we're the, the not context pure democracy. matters very so much, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that's that's what determines. You you can make an objective statement that you know. A is right and B is wrong, uh, but but the relevance of that 
degree of, of separation for the current topic under discussion uh, varies dramatically depending on the topic at hand. It also, so now that I think about it, it also matters, uh, it's not just the semantics of the word itself, it also matters uh, of, you know, the, the speaker that you are hearing from. I mean, could you really build a truly intelligent, could you really be intelligent uh, and intelligently understand language if you don't take into account who is speaking? Uh, it would certainly be more difficult. Um, right. I mean, and, and I feel like humans, we do a really good job, even without thinking about it, of just slipping back. Okay, the person speaking, this is, this is their background. This is the context that they're speaking in. There are a few things that, you know, maybe uh, that, that are my perspective, that's not their perspective, that I'm going to put aside for a little while. And you think, oh, okay, a smart person does that. No, 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 no. I think little kids do that. I think they know, like, when they're speaking oh, to parent it's, A it's, versus uh, parent B. Or, uh, it's, it's I mean, I should, I should say mom and dad, but, I, but uh, <laughs> I guess that was more politically correct. Parent A, parent B, parent C, you know. Well, grandparents and, and other guardians can enter into that uh, negotiation paradigm as well. So, Yeah, yeah. They might be like, oh, well, you know, the parent B doesn't know that parent A gave me a cookie. And so, um, you know, when parent B gave me a cookie, then my second cookie, knowing that parent A didn't give me one, uh, you know, the, the kid's going to be like, oh, wow, I haven't had a, a cookie today. Or at least, you know, not, not, you know, <laughs> not say something to, uh, no, uh, people, people, uh, yeah, pe people do that. So it's, well, um, I, I think that's, when you talk that's about the, the difference Turing between, test, yeah. uh, and, and maybe, maybe this is a poor example, but I'm envisioning like a, a, a chess playing AI. Uh, yeah, it, it can learn the moves and, and, you know, all sorts of statistical analysis and, and predictions. Uh, but when it sits, quote unquote, sits down to play against a player, uh, it doesn't necessarily know who that player is. So it's it's going to use its generic, uh, you know, chest solving algorithm. Uh, it's not going to say, oh, this is Gary Kasparov. I know, you know, the last 6000 games he's played. And so I can. I can build a special model specific to him. It's not going to be, right. it doesn't necessarily have the ability to do that. But if it did, uh, that would arguably give it an advantage. Right. And it could also do certain things where I don't know who this player is, but uh, I've seen from the first few moves that this fits the profile of these other players like Garrett Kasparov. Maybe it is Garrett Kasparov. And you could almost do that with language too. You could be like, hey. Yeah, you, you I can certainly profile. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and that's that's the assumption that I mean that's that's the way that that humans work too. Anytime you meet a new person, you've you've got to use the limited knowledge uh, or perhaps zero knowledge you have of them to build a, a heuristic, to build uh, you know a, a mental model of them, and you know hope, hopefully you're continuing continually updating that based on on incoming information uh, to so to improve your ability to to predict their actions. So here, here's my takeaway. Like if, their... I, if I were to build a, a chat bot, it would constantly be um, uh, analyzing language that you use to chat with it and sort of fit you into a, a profile that, you know, uh, differentiates you from other people. And it could do things simply as changing some of the vocabulary that it uses or, you know, um, Ch you know, changing some of the ways that it, it describes stuff or, or some of the ways that it interprets your meaning. Um, and 
So that's interesting, but it's also kind of scary that people definitely interpret words and phrases in very different ways, even though we have a dictionary, which, I, you know, is the dictionary the meaning of the word, or is that just how most people tend to use the word? It's, it's sort of a fuzzy, uh, fuzzy area well, it's, there. It's a push-pull there, because, uh, and, and maybe since we kicked off talking about semantics, this might be entirely uh, on topic, but okay. uh, there's, there's the whole thing when uh, people misuse a word. Uh, and uh, uh, people who are, are strident about language will say you're doing it wrong, and you know point in the dictionary and say this is this is the correct meaning of the word, this is the literal meaning of literally. Uh, but if people misuse it for long enough, then the dictionary adds uh, an additional definition that says literally uh, means figuratively because right. people have been using it that way, and the dictionary isn't a uh, an ironclad. Uh, you know, handed down on tablets from the mount, uh, it is a reflection of how language is used. I I read something. Maybe this was just an internet comment on on that. But where any you take a word like literally, and then eventually it starts to mean figuratively for some people, and then um, you invent another word. Anytime you invent a word that has the meaning of the original meaning of literally, it ends up meaning figuratively after a certain number of years. <laughs> so you can't really have that. Um, no, I, I okay. I think. Have you ever seen the Nutty Professor with um, uh, with Eddie Murphy? Not the one from the fifties, but the one from like the nineties. Uh, I've seen clips, but I don't think I've seen the whole thing. Well, well, there was a. Okay, I'm trying to remember this from like thirty years ago because I think I saw this in the theater. <laughs> and no, I remember there was a scene. When he's like, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't remember exactly what what was happened. So, so the uh, the thirty year memory might be way off. But he when when he's like the thin guy who's kind of a jerk, he's like, I'm gonna kill you. And then he and then he goes, No, I'm literally gonna take take your tie, uh, you know, wrap it around your neck and cut off your blood supply and literally kill you. And for some reason, the um, back in the '90s or maybe I was just younger and I didn't hear the figurative. Uh, term for literally, I f- felt like that uh, packed more punch because literally hadn't yet been used as figuratively that much. So when he said literally, you actually got the image of what he was talking about. And it was, um, yeah, I don't know why it's that's emphasizing funny. emphasizing but... how, how not figurative your previous statement was and that, that you, you may have misun- misunderstood. And I'm, I'm making this crystal clear. Right, uh, right. Uh, and, and you could still use that it, it, it comes back to it all depends on context. Uh, it, delivered in the right context, it could still have that impact. But uh, you you certainly couldn't do that in writing anymore. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So uh, I just want to end with this question was, is like, do we really understand words in the way that we think we do? Um, so, I mean, I use the example of chair and I hate that example because there's always... I, for some reason, I feel like philosophers always use chair. I have no, I've never taken a philosophy class. No, that's not it's, true. I it's have taken probably Plato's fault. Yeah, I know. All right, so uh, <laughs> I have taken one philosophy class, but, but it wasn't like uh, uh, philosophy. Like, I don't know the, the basics. I'm just taking this from kind of a, a machine learning perspective and trying to work backwards here. But um, do we really understand the meaning of words uh, other than just its relationship to other words. I feel like the difference, I don't know, we have like the history of examples we've seen from that, the, uh, of that word used in the past, and we kind of know the effect it has on other people, so we see kind of the effect of using that word, 
you know, that it has uh, to think of. Well, you might have more. You might have more insight into this because you have little children, and and you could see how they learn new words. But um, we don't have a dictionary in our head. We have more of an intuition that's very hard to describe. Yeah, well, I, I was joking before a little bit when I said, "Oh, it's probably Plato's fault." But uh, if if you're talking about the fundamental chairness of an object, uh, that that goes directly back to you know pl- Platonic ideals, and that you know is is there something about a word that that fundamentally uh, that that kind of precedes our perceptions, and uh, that 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 gets into a purely philosophical discussion. I don't I don't know that that there's anything we can we can add to the discussion in terms of understanding the fundamental chairness of a chair uh, and how that applies to no, uh, and I'm not good at perhaps I mean, well, maybe AI or than, or yeah. our everyday actions. Right. Well, uh, we're going to talk about image recognition in a second, and there are certain patterns that we get. There are certain you know things that we know how to use, um, and so I don't know if we could build data models that understand that. Does it truly understand it, or could you be like, no, it really doesn't know what it's doing? If there's no uh, if there's no subjectivity there, if there's no if there's nothing in, I think that you could. Have uh, I think you could say that an inanimate object has understanding if it has the data, even if it's not experiencing understanding like we do. Well, it's difficult to to ride this uh, analogy all the way into the ground. But uh, I mean, to to what extent do we really have an understanding there? And and if we have yeah. any doubts about our understanding, how how can we uh, not not put uh, machine understanding on on that same sliding scale uh, and right. and you know we I, I can't necessarily say with confidence that there's no way it could reach a equivalent level of understanding to that which we have right right so yeah the, the one thing where I like I I can't accept the sort of uh, you know the view that like every everyone is a machine is that like we have a subjective uh, experience of the world that inanimate objects or computers don't necessarily experience what they're doing. And so where does that experience come from? You know, when people say, oh, it's an emergent property to me, I'm just hearing, yeah, you don't really know. So <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure we've had that discussion that emergent yeah. property is code for we don't understand. Yeah. I mean, not always, but I, I think we discussed that last time. All right. So there, here's an article now. And uh, we were talking about like slow news week. It's 2020. It's never a slow news week. There's just nothing we want to talk about. Would you say that's correct? <laughs> yeah, that, well, I'd say there's plenty we don't want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to it soon. Um, so the, here's an article that I've had in the backlog for quite a while. And um, it, it's called, uh, you know, 30 Years of uh, Family Videos. Uh, and basically uh, what this guy get? I think this guy's a, a Google engineer. Who is it by? Uh uh, Dale Markowitz, he's a, an applied AI engineer, cloud AI for Google, and he talked about how he took his family video archive, which is something that I've been working with recently, and made it kind of searchable and um, you know applied some of the AI tools to it. And I, as you know, like if you put your photos into Google Photos, and there are other systems that do this. I don't know if Apple does it. I don't think Apple does it. Um, actually, I think Apple encrypts things enough so they can't even do all the processing on their end. I could be wrong. Um, but <laughs> Google <laughs> Google stores the photos. 
uh, I think. Um, so basically, uh, Google Photos allows you to search your photos by objects. So if I go to photos.google.com and I go into my uh, photos, uh, give me something to, to search for. Uh, Cars. That, that I may have taken a picture of. Okay. I'm sure I've taken a picture of a car. Let's see what comes up here. Do, 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 do. Search button, car. Should be pretty easy, huh? All right. So, ah, the last night a picture in Times Square. I have every other picture of mine has a car in it. Ooh, here's a picture. <laughs> I, with, I guess you are in the city. It's hard to yeah. hard to get a shot with no car. Here's a picture without a car. There, there's a street, but there's no car. Um, oh, it was a construction site of things that are covered on the street that look like cars, but I was worried huh. there were like bricks in there. And then if the, you know, if the uh, civil unrest comes back, anyway, I don't know why I'm taking a picture of that. Um, well, here's me in Staten Island. Yeah. Uh, okay. Good. So there's tons of cars here. I, you know, beach is a good one. All all sorts of. Uh, let's say like, a, what if I put in drink? Is there like a? Oh, if I get I'm sure. A little too, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It can probably even tell uh, cocktails specifically. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, one of them is a picture of the, um, uh, in my old building, the the vending machine. Let me do cocktails. Let's wait for this to come up. Oh, yeah. Cocktails from the other night. My girlfriend's birthday. We're out. Uh, Oh, this is when I was in Ukraine. It's, it's, It's not a cocktail. It's just my breakfast, but with an orange juice. Um, well, I, I searched for beer, which uh, ah. Google's pretty good about, but maybe a dozen photos in, it has a photo of my wife and me and our newborn baby getting ready to go home from the hospital. There's no beer in that yeah. photo. I, I don't <laughs> I have one for beer. There. It has Dr. Brown's cream, cream soda. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get back to it. Um, so it seems to understand objects. And you know, Jan LeCun showed, us, showed me this uh, back in 2010 when I took machine learning. Uh, with him, and he showed me the system. He not 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 me personally. He showed the whole class the system that could do this, that could basically identify objects. So uh, this guy asked, "What about video?" And so he figured it out. I'm going to read from the article. Uh, for this, I turned to the Video Intelligence API, a Google Cloud tool that allows developers to analyze videos with machine learning. It allows you to replicate many of the features found in the Google Photos app like tagging objects and images and recognizing on-screen text and a whole lot more. For example, the API shot change detection feature automatically finds the timestamp in videos where a scene changes. I actually uh, had this in the system I was using, but it was heuristic. Actually, that, that works fine, just heuristic-based AI for that. Um, anyway, this allowed me to split these long videos into smaller chunks. Using the label detection feature, I could search for all sorts of different events like bridal shower, wedding, bat and ball games, and baby. By searching performance, I was able to finally find one of my life's proudest accomplishments on tape, a starring role singing It's Not Easy Being Green in my kindergarten production of the Sesame Street musical. The Video Intelligence API's real killer feature for me was its ability to do audio transcription. By transcribing my videos, I was able to query clips by what people said in them. I could search for specific names, proper nouns, so Scott, Dale, Grandma, proper nouns, Chuck E. Cheese, Pokemon, and for unique phrases. By searching first steps, I found a clip of my dad saying, here she comes, plunk, this is the first time she's taken major steps. So it didn't actually say first steps, but kind of got the meaning there. Alongside a video of me managing to just barely waddle along. 
In the end, machine learning helped me build exactly the kind of archive I wanted, one that let me search my family videos by memory, not timestamps. Um, okay, so very interesting. I should point out, is this, um, I may have misgendered this person. Um, let's see, because I feel like he said, Oh uh, yeah, here she comes, Plunk. Uh, the, the first name was Dale, so I, I thought it was a man, so sorry. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, so th this is interesting. Um, so this person is making an archive of, okay, their family videos, but is this like a step into archiving our life? And can this be used for some memory extension? So now when someone says uh, the word, uh, you know, cocktail, I might have a picture of a cocktail in my mind, but maybe if we have some kind of archived, you know, global database, I could immediately see, you know, what, what the meaning of that term is or what other people might have in their mind. So I've just been thinking about, like, what, where is this leading to is it, if this taken to the nth degree? And, you know, what's interesting about this in, in just, you know, uh, in, in just keeping track of your own memories? Well, yeah, that's that's where I would that's where my brain went first, uh, that especially and and this may be a, a, a ro you know, a path we, we potentially could have taken but never did. But I'm envisioning a world where uh, something like Google Glass caught on a lot faster, a lot, a lot earlier. Yeah. Well, uh, that stuff's going to be and, coming back next year. We're, we're going yeah. to talk about it. Well, so so it, it envision that not only is are, are you constantly, you know, taking in images, but all that's getting stored into a database somewhere. And so you can have at a, you know, at, at, at your fingertips, uh, figuratively, uh, everything you've ever seen. And so when you try and recall an event, uh, you can, you can pull up, you know, that event and a dozen that were similar to it and extract kind of the key features from it, uh, in a, in a way that's much higher fidelity and much easier accessed than at least for most of us are our functional working memories. Right. So I, I didn't see this movie. So well, first of all, there was a um, the, there was a Black Mirror about that where every everything got recorded. Uh, there was also a 2004 film, The Final Cut, with um, uh, with Robin Williams, and uh, the idea is, you know, uh, yeah, after you die, they have a whole video of your life, but. They t uh, I don't know what the idea is. I didn't see the movie, but but my impression is they take out some of the parts that maybe we all have that's like, maybe we don't want there, that to be in the final cut of our life, you know? <laughs> so uh, that's uh, that, that's kind of an interesting concept. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's just an extension of the, uh, you know, writing an obituary. Uh, you you probably want somebody who uh, has your, your best interests in mind to write that. Rather than uh, an impartial uh, reporter, you you know may, maybe the AI is not going to paint the most favorable light, paint you in the most favorable light. It might, it might be more honest, but that's not necessarily what you want to be remembered for. Yeah. Okay. Now, now take this to the nth degree. Let's say we could use this as memory extension to remember everything that um, that, that that we've ever experienced and recall them. But what if you then hook it up into like the world memory? So you could I was going to say it's, it's a double-edged sword because yeah. uh, on the one hand, human memory uh, is is notoriously bad. Um, there's right. there's been a lot of work studying you know uh, classically eyewitnesses to 
traffic incidents and, and the like. And and people are just bad at remembering, observing and, re- and recalling things. I mean, it's uh, so, just, it's interesting, like remembering, uh, just going back to old podcasts and trying to remember what I said. And sometimes I'm completely right and I have a crystal clear memory. And sometimes I flipped it around uh, so much that... Um, that I'm like, wow, I didn't know that happened that way. If I look yeah, and read and, old, old emails about how certain things went down, it's like, huh. And, and on top of that, the theory that the more you remember something, you know, ev- basically every time you recall it, you're going back and you're writing over it. Uh, mm. And so the, the more you recall a particular event, the less accurate that recollection becomes over time. So having, having a, uh, a higher fidelity uh, version of that that you can kind of tap into could be very, very useful. Uh, on the other hand, uh, if we if we're functionally moving this this uh, memory storage kind of offline uh, into some other repository, uh, what's to prevent it from being tampered with? Uh, and you know, if if it's stored outside of your brain, uh, or even if it's stored inside your brain somehow, but it's it's a uh, has a, a digital interface, uh, why can't we uh, begin to tamper with that? And and I would imagine it will start with. Uh, things that we want tampered with, you know, that maybe that's the best way to help people suffering with debilitating trauma um, and PTSD to, to get over that. We can, we can go in and kind of edit those memories and clean them up a little bit. Mm. Uh, but, but once you've developed that technology, there's, there's some scary doors opened there. And, uh, you know, on, on what, what you said about kind of extending it beyond the individual level, but to, to the, to the group or, or the global level, uh, call the meaning of words. Like, yeah, you know, well, yeah. There, there's, there's a lot of, of, of brouhaha about people kind of revisionist history. Uh, but, but what if you could literally go back and not just revise the history in the history books, but the memories of the people who were there so that, uh, there's, there's nothing to counter. There's, there's no, uh, you know, original source material. Uh, and so and we have with... that problem that often, whether whether we should or not, we tend to believe our memories uh, or recollections of something over uh, documented facts. So and and that even goes for not necessarily a an event that you witnessed, but I remember being told that X Y Z happened, and so when I read that actually uh, according to uh, you know historians or or people who were there, they say, oh, actually it was Z Y X. And say no, nah, that's that's not the way I remember it, uh, and and it's it's uh, difficult to overcome that bias. Yeah, so so you start with trying to preserve family memories and uh, and uh, you know moments, and now we're in sort of uh, yeah. kind it's, of a it's sci-fi a slippery display. memory hole. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so that's really interesting. Let's finish up. With this Washington Post article, this is going to be a little bit more concrete for those that think we're getting too abstract. These, this episode, <laughs> uh, it's just a, a, it's just to um, to extend what we've talked about before and what I talked about last time when I, I mentioned James Altucher's article about New York never coming back, which is uh, you know uh, t- uh, telecommuting is not the future. This is a an opinion article in the Washington Post by. Let me get the person right. Helene Olin. 
Um, and so and I, I know we had some predictions related to this in our, our most recent uh, tech retreat, but I can't remember exactly what what spin we put on it. Again, probably a better one to go back to the archive rather than trying to <laughs> recall yeah, our g- memory. Given the discussion we just had, yes. Yeah, but I think that um, I, I, I think we said some prescient stuff about it, not just uh, in the last one in 2020, but also in 2018. Um, but uh, so, you know, the, the, the overall question is, and I tend to agree with some of what she was saying. I don't, I, I don't think we're necessarily going to disagree 180 here. I think it's going to be more, you know, what, what is the degree along a sliding scale that we're going to see here about whether people are really good. And this is just a lot of it is my current experience just working alone. It just feels, um, even if I'm working something on really cool, which, which I'm doing sometimes, it just feels fake. Um, you know, are we going to want to get together again? And are people going to want to go back to the cities again? And let's say uh, COVID is gone and all that. Are people going to want to hang out, go to the bars, uh, you know, go to go to parties, uh, you know, just do all these socialization events. And for that, you kind of need to be in a place where there are a lot more people. Um, I feel like this whole idea of um, that the the city being done might be overstated, even though the, the city government itself has uh, and the uh, kind of the the society we have here has a lot of problems. But I don't think the idea of the, the city is going to be over. I don't think, you know, younger people are not going to want to flock to the city at some point. Yeah, well, and, and this this article wasn't specifically about cities, although it seems that cities are kind right, of hardest hit with this. Right. Yeah. Uh, but but my, my take was that. Uh, None of the the drawbacks of telecommuting that that the uh, the author cites are wrong. Um, some of them may be bad reasons to go back to work, but they are reasons for which people will go back to work, and I can't dispute that. So what? Um, let, let's see. Let's go through them. What what were they? Uh, they were uh, basically. Let's see. I'm trying to get to the. Um, well, yeah. Okay. Uh, there are serendipitous benefits to in-person collaboration that no number of Zoom meetings or Slack channels can replicate. Um, you know, certain companies, Yahoo and Bank of America, have rescinded telecommuting privilege in the past, claiming the practice was de- detrimental to corporate teamwork. I think the idea is that there is a lot of like context that you get, and a lot of unsaid communication that you get when you're together that you don't get. Uh, either online or you don't get, you know, when, when you don't have, when you're not in person. It's kind of a pale shadow of, of, uh, of the type of communication you get. And I, I see this too. I think there are so many, like, I, I think one good thing about the, you know, uh, um, talking to each other from afar is people try to be more succinct. But I feel like there's a lot of stuff where people are like, people assume that you get their meaning, but they really don't. From the from just the text and from the short conversations on Zoom or whatever. Yeah. So the the uh, the phrase uh, detrimental to corporate teamwork uh, strikes me as as just gross and corporate uh, in the worst yeah. way. Uh, but but the the bit that came before that about the serendipi- serendipitous benefits to in person collaboration. Uh, that's that's the Steve Jobs policy in a nutshell. Like he, I, my understanding is that he uh, was quite involved in the actual 
architectural design of the Apple campus specifically to maximize that aspect. Uh, and may, he maybe he was overvaluing that, but it's it's something that he put a lot of weight in, and uh, a, a lot of people will uh, will will follow anything he's dropped hints about uh, to, to extremes yeah. for for good reason. Well, so. I- Here's another way to think about it. If you think work is the same uh, as uh, uh, you know online, think think about trying to date exclusively online and never meeting up. Uh, <laughs> if, if that uh, you know if that would work, I mean, just from the communication standpoint, um, it just it just doesn't work to like sit there and chat. It's 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 certainly a very different world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So. She talks about the recency bias here a little bit, um, and that is um, that's about well, you know, uh, people are like, well, we're at home now, so this must be the future. And actually, uh, there was a meeting at work where we talked about the recency. But I think I could say this, uh, where we talked about recency bias a little bit, where. You know, at the beginning of this thing, people are like, oh, it's not that bad. What are you talking about? And now people are like, it's bad and it's going to be bad forever, which is just the same problem uh, on the other side, where people are just taking what's going on now and extending that out linearly without realizing that there's like an ebb, ebb and flow to things. Um, so, all right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so so as as kind of a, an aside, recency bias, uh, it's something to be aware of because uh, because it will it will uh, it will taint your your predictions of the future, your outlook. Uh, but uh, all else being equal, looking at how things are now and how things were in the immediate uh, in the immediate past is a pretty good heuristic for determining what the immediate future is going to look like. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, sometimes so it can be. It's it's not complete garbage, but you want to be careful that you're not overweighting it. Um, which which, you know, now six plus months into this madness, uh, it's very easy to overweight that because six months is a fairly long time. That's that's well past short term memory, uh, and that's all we've known in short term memory. So right, right. Uh, well, if you, you take you, you have to remember, you have to reach back and remember the before times and and kind of sample that a little bit to color your picture yeah. of the future. Well, if you take uh, if you take Lindy's law, that means that th- yep. this whole thing will last for another six months. Um, and in now, obviously, it's that's never lit that, that that's not always literally true. In this case, I think it's um, well, most pandemics in the past happen, you know, have been like a year plus, I think Spanish flu was something like that. So maybe, maybe that's about right. Um, yeah. and, and, and it depends how you define start and end. But but yeah. I'd say right now that's probably a pretty good heuristic. Yeah, it's the social end versus the actual uh, viral end, which in New York has essentially happened already. Um, but, okay, um, let's talk about uh, wh- where you think this is going in the future. So uh, you were here like when the, when the pendulum swings back, we're not going to be at the same level of office work we're probably going to be at a higher level of remote work than we were pre-covid anyway people are just going to stay uh some people are going to stay remote and i think she even says in the article at the end there might be some compromise and this is what i wanted this is what i wanted at the beginning like pre-pandemic this is what i wanted in 2019 where we could you know work from home one or two days a week because that i can live with 
I mean, that, that's not, not only can I live with that, that's ideal because then there are certain things you could do on your own and then there are certain things you, d you need the collaboration for. Yeah, I, I think this this will definitely shift the Overton window, or, or uh, you know, the the swing of the pendulum, uh, or or give us a new anchor point, whatever whatever terminology you want to use for it. Um, I I think they, she was quoting some numbers that like seven percent of of workers had the uh, the ability to work from home before uh, back back in in twenty nineteen. Uh, so my I would be not at all surprised to see those numbers when when things uh reach a, a new equilibrium to be you know two or three times that uh but probably not uh gonna stay at the the ratios we're currently seeing where i don't know what it is you know 75 percent, 50 percent, something like that of of people working remotely yeah um, yeah and and Here, the other thing another, is here's another problem imagine if you're managing a team you know how you could tell if someone's unhappy and they might leave soon you think you could tell that if if um if you're remote, it's going to be a lot harder. That's just another thing that came to mind. Yeah, it, it certainly adds complications. And and I think there's a balancing act here. I, I think management is going to tend to be more resistant to it, uh, as they always have, some for good reasons, uh, some so, like like what you just mentioned, some for bad reasons, because most managers have been you know kind of brought up in a management style where the way they can judge whether you're an effective employee or not is whether they see you at your desk looking busy. Uh, and, and it's... Yeah. For, for those who've come up in that mold, it's going to be very difficult to break out of that and to actually base their their assessment on on results rather than uh, rather than you know presentation. Um, but you know b b bits and pieces. I, I'd say the, the other the other piece to this is is that um, we we need to to consider the the weighing of costs and benefits. So so the, the author here has laid out a number of things that are. Uh, downsides that are costs doing this remote work, um, but nowhere in there does she talk about uh, the things that are uh, quite undesirable about working in an office. Um, right. You know, I I used to have a job where I I spent uh, at least an hour each way commuting, uh, you know, yeah, five days bad. a week, and and that was pretty miserable for me. Uh, so if I'd had the option to make at least part or or a significant portion of my time work from home for that. That would have uh, dramatically reduced the pain point there. Sometimes, um, especially, and that's going to differ work. for 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 various people. It's yeah. not an across the board solution, even for people doing the same job in the same place. A lot of times, I found, you know, if you get enough sleep, you're like three times more productive, or you know, and so uh, it's it's. I mean, I'm, I'm, that, that's not that, that's just like a made up number, but I'm I'm just saying like it's. Um, it's amazing how much those commutes can weigh you down and those specific times you have to be in every day can weigh you down. Uh, yeah. Especially with, um, I guess if my job were just like, you know, on an, literally on an assembly line, it might not matter how much sleep I got the night before. But uh, that's, uh, that's not the way the world works now. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and the, the other piece that she does point out that, that I can particularly sympathize with uh, is the, the dissolving barrier between... Uh, your personal life and your work life now that mm. they coexist in the same space. Uh, we, we've been talking about that for years with email and smartphones uh, kind of giving us an invisible tether to our work. Uh, and now that there's, you know, you, you, you can't say, oh, I, I left my laptop at work or I turned off my work phone because there's, there's never a good reason to. Um, right. That combined with kind of 
some of the the time shifting and juggling of of domestic stuff going on right now, especially yes. for for families, has has made it uh, in some ways a, a, a living nightmare where work never ends. Right, work never ends, and also a home life never ends. Yeah, you know, you're always like thinking, oh, I've got to do some chores around here, or you know, and um, or you're always dealing with with babies or pets or significant others or yeah, whatever. There, there was a, a, a story I'd been told about uh, some, and, and this, is, this is kind of dated, but, you know, a, a married couple, kind of 1950s, uh, vintage America, and, and the secret to their successful marriage was that, well, four days of the week, he's on the road. And, you know, so the, the, the whole uh, fondness or distance makes the heart grow fonder, that if you're constantly with your, your family or, or your loved ones, uh, be, you know, it, it makes every little flaw about you that much more obvious. And, you know, even just having the opportunity to go to work and, you know, spend eight hours a day uh, not directly underfoot of everybody else in your life can can help make uh, the rest of your life more sane. So that's something that a lot of people, I think, are struggling with right now. All right. Uh, cool. Uh, all so that just, said, yeah. we are super fortunate to have the type of work we can be doing from home and that we have jobs right, right now. So, uh in in one way, this is very much a first world problem, uh, and I I realize that even though uh, it's sometimes hard to remember it. Uh, but just remember, but you know, just because just because you, you have it better than someone else doesn't mean you do, don't have the right to complain. Yeah, the the struggle is that. real, even if it's not the most dramatic struggle of 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 them all out there. Yeah. So, all right. So just to wrap it up, I think this is a very good uh, this is a very good opportunity over the next year or so, as you said, like the Overton window changed where. Uh, you know, you could come up with kind of creative and new solutions for, you know, home work balance and, you know, management might be more open to making, to trying something almost, you know, very new, very radical uh, in that regard. So uh, that, that could be interesting to watch and live through. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see whether uh, the, the WeWorks or the Regus or, or whatever the, the kind of, you know, uh, office space for for lease in in a a short term uh, you know office share model uh, whether that I, I could see it going two ways when we come out of this one could be that there's a huge explosion in that because uh, a lot of big corporate offices shut down but there are people that still want a place they can go to to work where they're not alone or at home uh, or I could see that completely dying out because uh, you know the the People have found ways to work without it, and and they can't justify the cost for, you know, the get, getting all the downsides and very few of the upsides of going into the office. So that that'll be something interesting to watch. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So uh, that's uh, that's all we've got for today. Any last thoughts, or should we wrap this up? Uh, let's call it a wrap. All right, great, Aaron. Thanks for coming on the show today. Always fun. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. The show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at MaxSklar. Have a great week. Feel the power.